You're listening to CS Book Club, and we're finishing up Chapter 2 today of Understanding Computation, the section called Denotational Semantics, Formal Semantics in Practice, Implementing Parsers. My name is Justin Campbell. I'm a Ruby developer. Hi, my name is Ashton Harris. I'm a front-end developer. Hey, I'm Brian. Uh, I'm a programmer. I'm Amy, also a programmer. So what did you guys think about the chapter? Well, it's fun to take Ruby and then generate Ruby and then eval the generated Ruby. <laughs> yeah, I started to become very scared of double quotes. You know, I mean, they always, it's always stated the main reason why you should use single quotes instead of double quotes is there's, you know, minor performance uh, implications. And uh, now I just want to single quote everything so that I don't have to worry about string interpolation. <laughs> yeah, lots of string interpolation for sure. Yeah, I kind of had to reread uh, at least the beginning of the textual semantics a few times because just kind of like getting it through my head that it was kind of meta, right? Like we were like writing Ruby, a Ruby-like language in Ruby. And uh, I kept then like think about comparing it to the small step and big step, like how 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 things are being computed and how it relates to like my understanding of what's happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, I ended yeah. up doing the exact same thing. I mean, I, I reread it a couple of times because the descriptions and the implementation are kind of abstract in the way they think about things. Like you, as you said, we're doing Ruby to Ruby, but you have to think about the underlying purpose of all of this. I found that it was interesting to try to make that jump from what we were writing to the way denotational semantics is uh, kind of introduced as something where, uh, you know, you can start making proofs about, um, about what a program can do. Um, and maybe that's me getting confused with formal semantics. Um, but uh, it did seem kind of like in the denotational um, semantics, we were, it was harder to understand how this would be useful. In the previous section, you know, when you're building up that abstract syntax tree, uh, you know, you feel like, well, maybe I'm not fully understanding this concept, but this is really cool, and I understand how this could be underneath a parser, and as we see, it will be. Yeah. Uh, the denotational semantics, I'm not quite sure what the purpose of that was. So I kind of took it to be this is the translation step between the language that is representing the parse tree to the language that is, uh, like, executing the instructions from your I'm not sure what you'd call it, but in this case, simple, like the target language. Hmm. But yeah, like Amy, I wasn't sure. So in, in the intro, he says, um, denotational semantics is conventionally used to, to turn programs into mathematical objects. They can be studied and manipulated with mathematical tools. Um, but then, it, I mean, it sounds like this isn't quite that, I guess. Maybe that's yeah, that, where the mismatch is coming in. Yeah, that almost sounds more like formal semantics to me, where you're actually, um, it, it should be done with mathematical tools versus denotational semantics, which is just, uh, to me, is just compiling one language into another to make sure that, you know, the language that is recognized, or Ruby or be it something else, is, you know, performing in the way that you would expect as that language is already established. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like, 
like having all these like evals and, and functions. Um, I'm not too familiar with this concept, but like the halting problem where like once you once you write a lambda, like I have no idea what's happening inside of it. I just know it ends up with a result at some point. It's kind of like a like a black. I think like a black box. It just uh, evaluates to something. Right. Yeah. You can't see inside of it. And the chapter ends with talking about how um, XSLT and XPath are denotational or defined denotationally. Uh, I thought that was interesting, kind of like tying it back to something real in practice. Yeah, it would be interesting to take a look. I did not uh, take a look at those links, but I really understand what the author is saying um, when he says, you know, like Ruby is defined by whatever the MRI does with your code and ha how it uh, acts on that versus, you know, it'd be interesting to see how, um, you know, how you define a language denotationally. Yeah, I forgot where it was in this chapter, but they mentioned how uh, Ruby spec is an example of denotational. So Ruby, uh, just like the, the intent of the language is however it behaves according to these tests. Um, that project, I think, is... Uh, dead now but yeah didn't they didn't they completely give up on that because uh the ruby core team was not in fact actually using it bothering to use it yeah 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 from what i understand the ruby core team or M the mri uh you know core team um defines ruby as ruby's spec as however mri behaves yeah uh, and some outside parties were trying to define a you know tested specification for that and mm -hmm. I don't think that was ever really adopted by the Ruby core team. Uh, formal semantics in practice. I have one thing highlighted. Uh, there was a sentence that had the word partially ordered sets in it. My mind kind of exploded. Like, what does partially ordered mean? Yeah, post sets, as they're known. Post sets? Can you explain post sets? What's that? Can you explain those? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's kind of a tautological definition, but there's sets with a partial order. So you can't necessarily directly compare any two things. Um, strictly. Actually, you know what? Before I mm -hmm. veer off on a bad path, I have a book on combinatorics laying around here. <laughs> Let me wheel over and grab it. <clears throat> do, do, do. In that same sentence, they talked about um, it mentioned fixed points, uh, which I I know from a talk that I watched from uh, Jim Wyrick at RubyConf, I think 2012 or 2013, uh, where he gave a a uh, keynote called uh, Why Not? Uh, Adventures in Functional Programming. And he basically wrote a Y Combinator uh, using just pure, I guess, lambdas, like lambda calculus in Ruby. Uh, and, and part of the talk was he, he focused on fixed points, how if you have like a mathematical function that takes a number, uh, some functions have fixed points where eventually they'll reach a number and will not evaluate any further. Uh, and, and he was kind of comparing that to also, in computation, some functions have fixed points where there is a, I'll explain this right, like there is an end result of how something can be, I guess, reduced, even in, in a more abstract sense. And that has something to do with Y Combinator. Uh, I've, I've told myself I was going to watch that talk every year. I've only watched it twice since the conference, but I should watch it again. It's time. So I have a definition of post sets if you'd like it. Sure. So a partial order. So first of all, a post set is a uh, set on which a partial order is, is defined. And a partial order is a reflexive, anti-symmetric, and transitive relation. So, for example, less than or equal to, um, where like 4 is less than or equal to 4. 
as opposed to less than, which would be like four is not less than four. Um, so you can order things, but things might be the same, and you don't necessarily know the difference. So if uh, you were, let's say, ordering people by last name, to be able to have the same last name, they could be in one of two positions and still be ordered. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, thanks for indulging me in that. My pleasure. <laughs> well, do you want to talk about implementing parsers? Uh, sure. Is there anything else about formal semantics you want to go over? I have a lot of things highlighted, but it's most exciting. <laughs> I mean, I had, a, I had a couple of notes in formal semantics, like um, under finding meaning when he's talking about, you know, specifying the meaning of a programming language. I just thought it was interesting to go, you know, he kind of goes into some of the details of the, you know, all these levels of abstraction that we now use. Like if you're writing Ruby or writing JavaScript, it's kind of um, complex. We don't think in the day-to-day -day of how how many steps there are to compile down to, you know, the actual metal, the, he, as he puts it, the electrons and semiconductors. Um, like he gives the example of Java, which, you know, Java goes to bytecode, which goes to x86, which goes to micro instructions and all the way down until you finally hit it. And I think it's just an interesting point to recognize, you know, all the computational levels that are really required these days to write programs. Yeah, I really like that section. And then after I read that, I kind of got thinking about it in the in the opposite direction about how we build, uh, you know, microprocessors and then assembly language and then all these other things like the, the Java, the JVM. Uh, we build these things that we trust and we understand and build, you know, higher level abstraction on top of them going out. Yeah, I felt this section really kind of elucidated what, he meant what he means by the meaning of programs that you know there are a bunch of different ways that we can try to find meaning in a program but that ultimately uh it's just going to become uh, it does eventually get executed on a cpu and at that point kind of the meaning of the program crystallizes um but i feel like the whatever format you're using to try to extract or define meaning, uh, you're going to end up, at least in the, uh, from the exercises we did in here, there's something left to be desired. You don't feel like you fully grasp the meaning of a programming language. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. You know, I, I, I did all of these examples and, you know, you could, I, I definitely grasp pieces here and there, but then when you read over the chapters and over the chapters, uh, there's a lot of high level details that you're not sure, um, you've definitely grasped during the implementation. Yeah, I, I had a lot of flashbacks to reading JL Austin's work on just taking apart the idea that you can have a philosophically true statement that anyone can actually say something that it can be classified as inherently true or inherently false. Ultimately, what he argues is that all speech is performative and that when we say something, we're actually simply acting on the world. Uh, and it's hard, well, the, it, it's difficult for philosophers to then say, like, well, I can classify everything that someone is saying into... Uh, a statement of some kind, and, and I can say things about what that statement means. Uh, and instead, we need to, to think about language, human language, entirely differently as a choice that someone makes in the moment to use certain words to communicate. 
Um, I definitely got a flashback to that. I was like, oh, okay, so when we're talking about all these different forms of semantics, ultimately they're each useful to do certain things, but that if we're looking for any one thing that's going to give us, you know, the meaning of a programming language or the meaning of a program itself, uh, you're probably going to get lost in the weeds unless you focus on how it executes and what it eventually compiles down to. I I think that's very interesting that you gave the example of, you know, the English language, because that's one of the examples he uses for denotational semantics. Whereas if you wanted to explain the English verb walk, well, you could actually walk. But uh, denotationally, if you were talking to a French speaker, you would use the French verb. Um, so that's kind of the difference versus, you know, the action of maybe uh, compiling this into something else or actually representing it. Yeah, I definitely uh, liked rereading that statement, uh, that explanation using uh, English to French, because it kind of I don't know, it made me laugh at myself. I came into this chapter trying to uh, find the main point he was trying to make. Like, what is the meaning of programs, right? Well, if you had asked me, if you had titled an English book, you know, an introductory English book, well, this is going to be, this is a chapter on the meaning of the English language, right? I would laugh, right? Like, you can't define the meaning of a language. You can't necessarily even define the meaning of a statement, You know, people can say so many different things. It's hard to say what the meaning of walk is, right? You can explain in his example, right? You can mime it. You you can say that to walk, well, you you know, you can walk and show someone that that is what that means by doing the action, and you can translate it. Uh, But you know, ultimately. You know, you're going to get into the weeds if you try to contemplate. Uh, well, certainly, I feel like someone with my more uh, uh, simple mind is going to get very far into the weeds if I tried to contemplate what the deeper meaning of, of walking is. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think in part I got uh, the, the title of this chapter kind of got me off on the wrong track because I feel like we learned a lot of interesting things but we never really got around to what the meaning of programs is. But, you know, I'm not sure you we're ever going to get there. That reminds me of a, was it, was it Carl Sagan quote? That was like, to make a, to make pasta, you must first invent the universe. To make an apple pie from scratch. <laughs> apple pie. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, like at some point you need to, when you're describing something and how it behaves, you need to have some kind of common language to, to refer back to, so some, some base. I can't find it now, but I also liked in this uh, chapter that mentioned um, if you had the operational or denotational semantics between uh, two languages, then you could reason about them and how they relate to each other. Oh, so it's like a common language for discussing languages. Yeah, like you, if you have the um, a way to, to translate, yeah, it was the beginning of denotational semantics, actually, uh, translating programs from their native language into some other representation. And then it mentioned that if you have a way to go from one language to another and then back, you could talk about them in a, in a way that makes sense to either side. It'd be kind of uh, an, an, a fun exercise for this would be to do, uh, to change the, the dot two Ruby to like dot two JavaScript. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which he actually does touch upon briefly sometime in this book that you obviously could write a compiler for any other language. You want to move on to parsing? 
implementing parser. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't very long, but it was nice to see, like, an example of treetop in action. Yeah, it was kind of really fascinating. And, uh, I, like, the chapter starts, and he says, you know, we've been kind of going the opposite way of when you're writing a, uh, like a programming language. Uh, or at least the way a comp compile works, it parses and then builds an abstract syntax tree. Uh, we, were, we were building the AST first, and now we're going to implement a parser for it. But I've never made a language before, so maybe you do go that way. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it being helpful though to start with the AST, so you don't like you have concrete somehow data write a parser then... that doesn't work or like you... that, that that doesn't really map cleanly. That's true. Yeah, treetop is really interesting. The syntax of it is so close to Ruby that I kept getting tripped up when I was reading it. Like I was sure things were syntax errors, but they weren't. Yeah, totally. Is there a Vim plugin for treetop? Out of curiosity, I didn't look. I did not either. I'm sure there is. There was a Sublime text plugin for it. Sublime. Yep, still using Sublime. <laughs> it was really impressive to see the uh, treetop syntax tree. The, the difference between the abstract and the concrete syntax tree really drove home all the work that a parser really does. That, that's impressive. Yeah, no kidding. What was it? The uh, warning that says uh, the syntax tree... M often may even contain more than one node for every character of input. <laughs> he does warn, please do not try to walk down the syntax tree yourself. Yeah, uh, it's definitely interesting to see a project that needs to uh, have a warning like that. I would not want to be the maintainer there getting a lot of irate messages saying, oh, you're... Your syntax tree is totally unworkable. I don't know how you can put out such terrible software. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that it also like warned about um, being right associative versus left associative. How tree top actually defaults to uh, right associative, mm -hmm. and yeah, how that I, can I... actually break some some forms of uh, like I guess division and subtraction. Yeah, I was looking. I highlighted the same warning. It was pretty interesting because he, he starts off by talking about multiplication and how, you know, it'll obviously do thing right associative, but for multiplication, that's no problem. But like you said, when you get into addition and subtraction, you are not going to get the expected result. He also mes uh, mentions that um, treetop is basically doing all the hard work for us with creating the syntax tree and everything. So, you know, how even though we've implemented a parser, we haven't learned much about how the parser actually works, which I guess we're going to go into a lot further in a, another chapter, parsing with pushdown automata. It's a weird word. <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> so treetop itself is really coupled to Ruby, right? Because you have the objects that you pass into it, like the blocks yield or an actual Ruby object. It seems that way, but maybe... It I don't know. I mean, because it seems like you could write this same syntax for any language, and then just inside the the defs have it do something else besides return a Ruby object. Um, it, right, or not even have defs like have a function or yeah something. I mean, looking looking at the docs, it seems like it's pretty coupled to Ruby. But it's interesting right. that um, the author chose to use treetop to show parsing. I mean, it, it looks very simple uh, from the little experience I have of. of looking at parsers. Um, but there are other ones that are much more commonly used in actual like major programming languages. Like Yak. Yeah. Yeah, the this this grammar, looking at it, I think it, it makes sense 
do you do you feel like like I, I I personally don't feel like I could generate this if I just sat down and was like I'm gonna write a language. I think if I knew Treetop and I knew what I wanted to do, I would eventually get here. Like it is kind of overwhelming to read all at once, but each thing on its own kind of makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if it would be possible to do the same approach with a grammar like this as he's taken with everything else, where you kind of build it piece by piece. That's what I was about to say. Like, like I, I, if I looked at the source code for Simple as we wrote it, at the end, I probably been really overwhelmed and right. thought that it would be impossible for me to like come up with my own. But going through it step by step, kind of building everything up, it was fairly straightforward to get to that point. Yeah, but he throws the whole grammar at you all at once. <laughs> And this is a cut-down version of the treetop grammar, obviously for simple, so I'm sure the real version is much, much, much more in-depth. Yeah, like for the full language. Yeah, and then chapter three. Yeah, next time we'll be reading chapter three, The Simplest Computers, and uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to you all that time. Likewise. Yep, yep. It's gonna be I good. am certainly looking forward to reading about non-deterministic programming. That seems to be what I do most of the time. So, uh, <laughs> looking forward to seeing what I'm doing wrong. Awesome. All right. See you.